Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. What a great word you've given to us because you're a great God. And Lord, we're here as your children. We're here, Lord, to hear from you, our God, our Father. Thank you, Lord, that you speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Genesis chapter 17. So if you'd follow along here where it says in Genesis 17, 1, that Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. And I'll make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with thee and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee, and I'll make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee, and I'll establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee, and their generations, for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. And I'll give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. You shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man child in your generations. He that's born in the house or bought with the money of any stranger which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house and that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. And I'll bless her, give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and thee she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. And Abraham fell on his face. And Abraham fell his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that's a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, also, Sarah that is ninety years old bear? Okay, now, this is a wonderful passage here. In our last study, we saw this chap and opens with the very with an all-important revelation. It's a new name for God. This God, God is now goes, has this name of Almighty God or El Shaddai. And from this name blossoms out everything that's going to happen in these chapter, this chapter, which are promises, 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 one after the other. And these promises that God is making here are so unlikely to happen that the only way that Abraham could accept these promises, could believe these promises, could embrace these promises, as a matter of fact, was only if he first came to accept, believe, and embrace God's name here of El Shaddai, the Almighty God. 
And that's the statement in verse 1, which is so important for the rest of the chapter because it's a foundation for everything that's going to happen in the rest of the chapter. You know, the promises that God is going to make in this chapter, they can only happen if Abraham believes that he is El Shaddai, the Almighty God. You know, I was thinking about this in regard to our Creation Museum in Santee. Because there are people who come to our museum and they're not believers. They just flat out right, don't believe the Bible's clear statement that God created the heaven and the earth and animals and man and this all took place within a time frame of, of a literal six 24-hour periods. They don't believe that it, the Bible says that God created the animals and the heaven and the earth and man about 6,000 years ago. And they've come up with all kinds of arguments. And they, you can see it when they come in the door. You know that they're loaded. They're loaded with their arguments. It's obvious. And they come and, the, and it's going to be, well, it's going to be about the carbon, uh, organic material with the carbon 14 dating. And it's going to be about the non organic material, the rocks and the isotope dating. And it's going to be how many light years away certain stars are. And it's going to be, how obvious it is that millions of years of evolution have taken place because of the similarity in the genome of the genes uh, between man and animals. Also banana, but anyway, that's a different issue. <laughs> and so sometimes I speak to these people, and I always am thinking to myself, you know, what is the best answer for all these arguments? And then there are the individual arguments, you know, about how it's the evolution it takes more faith and believing creation and so forth. But I was looking for that, just that one simple argument that just addresses all those arguments that are brought. And it came to me, this, there's one simple argument that adequately answers any argument that a person could have against the Bible's clear claims that the heavens and the earth and the animals and the man were created during the period of six uh, 24-hour days about 6,000 years ago. And that argument is so adequate that as soon as I saw it, and so simply stated, that we made a three-foot by two-foot bronze plaque as the, argue, the counter-argument. And it's the first thing you see when you open the door, it should be, of the creation museum. We mounted it right there. And that plaque stands there, and, and it just says, really what this plaque is really saying is that, look, before you say any argument against the Bible's claim that you know, all these things happened in six, uh, 24-hour periods about 6,000 years ago, before you come, just look at this one statement. Because this one statement answers every argument uh, uh, that, that's against what the Bible claims happened in the creation. And it's a statement that God made to Abraham. And it's a statement that God made to Abraham about the same subject that we're dealing with here, studying in this chapter. Namely, that Abraham and Sarah were going to have a baby in their old age. And that statement that was made to Abraham is what we put on the big bronze plaque there in the front of the museum. And if you like to turn to it, it's in Genesis 18. It's the next you know, chapter. It's not so far to turn. And in Genesis 18, verse 14, where it's the first, it's the first statement in Genesis 18, 14. It's the first part where, and the statement is, Genesis 18, 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? 
<laughs> that's it. <laughs> that's the answer that answers it all. It's the argument that answers it all. That's the statement that answers every argument against the Bible's explanation of what happened. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is it too hard for God to create in six literal 24 hours days? Is that too difficult for him? Has that reached the, <laughs> has that reached the top of his expertise uh, over the top? He can't do that. Is it too hard for God to have created everything we see about 6,000 years ago? Is that too hard for God? Is it just too hard for God to have done that? Because, you know, that just is above his ability level. And so when a person comes to Creation Museum and they say, look, I don't understand how everything could have come to being in six 24-hour days and 6,000 years ago, then I say, well, neither do I. <laughs> I don't understand it either. But, and we don't understand the how, but we do understand the who. And that's the point. It's a creation museum because it's a, it's a creator, you know. There's a creation museum because there's a God who's the creator. And once you get past that part, then the statement that God made to Abraham about this subject we're dealing with here, that there's nothing too hard for God. So if he says that's the way it happened, why should we say it's, you can't do it? And if anyone can really accept and really believe and really embrace the first statement in the Bible, in the beginning, God created. And if a person can really accept and really believe and really embrace the third word in the Bible, God, then the rest is a piece of cake. The rest is easy to believe. But if anyone believes that God really is the almighty God, he really is El Shaddai, then what he said that he created in this six, 24-hour period about 6,000 years ago, what's the problem? And, and so th- just like people who come to the Creation Museum with their arguments, that Abraham had a lot of arguments too in the back of his mind. In this part of the chapter, he was smart enough to, to not, not say them, of course, but also not say them in his heart. Later he does that, but anyway. But Abraham had a lot of arguments in the back of his mind. How could this be possible? For a couple that's nearly a hundred years old to have a baby. And so just like we put our bronze plaque in the front of the Creation Museum to make the statement, before you bring any argument, before you say anything against this, just look and believe this, that God is and there's nothing too hard for God. And so God put up his bronze plaque in the front of the promises of this chapter that he brings to Abraham about having a baby, and God's big bronze plaque reads, I am the Almighty God. I am El Shaddai. And so just as the bronze plaque is in the front of our creation museum to answer every argument, that's God's statement to Abraham that answers all the arguments. Say, Abraham, you have no problem accepting my promises to you as a centenarian, if there is such a word, I think there is, centenarian who's going to have a baby because I'm El Shaddai. Abraham, you have no problem believing my promises to you that as a centenarian, you're going to have a baby because I'm El Shaddai. Abraham, you have no problem embracing my promises to you as a centenarian is going to have a baby because I am El Shaddai. So in the same way, when God says to you and he says to me, our sin debt has been paid on the cross by the Lord Jesus Christ. And that our great enemy, was his head was crushed, uh, as you promised in Genesis 3.15. 
on the cross, and that we will be raised from our graves of dirt in the resurrection, and that we have a home in heaven that's waiting for us. With Abraham, we have no problems accepting those promises because the Lord Jesus Christ is El Shaddai. He's the Almighty God. And with Abraham, we have no problems believing those promises because the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is El Shaddai. And we have no problem with Abraham embracing those promises because the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is El Shaddai. So something very, very important was on the line here. And we see it, again, looking in the next chapter, in chapter 18, we're going to look at a, at a verse that we have looked at already, but there's a word in there that we didn't focus on before, and I want you to look at that in Genesis 18, 19. 18, 19 there, you'll see that, you'll recognize we covered that before. But this is a verse where God is speaking to himself, really, and he says, shall I hide from Abraham the thing that I'm going to do? And he says here, for I know him, he will command his children, you remember we say this, and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. The Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. And there's a very important little word in that verse there, and it's the word may. Do you see that? It's the word may, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he had spoken. God said about Abraham that he knew him. He knew he was going to do certain things. He tells what those things are. He says he's going to command his children. He's going to command his household after him. He's going to make sure they keep the way of the Lord. He's going to make sure they do justice and judgment. And then God said, because because he knew Abraham was going to do all those things, then God said, God may, that I may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. God uses this very important word, may. He's very, very important that what God has said here when he says the word may. Why? Because what this means is is that if Abraham did not do these things that God knew he was going to do. But if he didn't do that, then, then that's where that word may is very important. It's all important. You can almost call it God's, the doctrine of God limiting himself, you know, the, God, the God's may doctrine. Because this doctrine of God's may or God limiting himself can be seen when David, King David, was reviewing the history of Israel. And he's looking over this history of history of the Jewish people. And he's looking back. You know, there's books that have been written about God and the Jewish people or God and the Jews. God and the Jews, you know. And, and so David is doing that too. And he was the first one anyway. But he looks back over the Jewish people and the history. And he begins to see certain patterns that emerge. And if we study history of the Jewish peoples in the, in the history in the Bible, we see certain patterns that emerge. Normally when we see these patterns as we're reading and we do something like this, oh no, not again. <laughs> so David has one of these, oh no, not again moments. And it's in Psalm 78. And if you turn to that, it's very interesting when, in David's uh, review of the history of the Jewish people in Psalm 78, when he sees this pattern and it's his, oh no, not again. And it's Psalm 78, verse 40 through 41. And what's happening here is that David is looking back over the history in the writings of Moses, Moses' books, 
about what happened during that 40-year period when they were wandering around in the desert, in the wilderness, in the desert. And in Psalm 78, verse 40, he makes a comment about the pattern that he says. And the comment is this. How how often did they provoke God, provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Yea, they turned back and tempted God they and limited the Holy One of Israel. So this is the pattern that David sees. He looks at this and he says, this is a very disturbing pattern of my people. That's what David says. That's what I say about my people too. It's a very disturbing pattern. Because for 40 years when they're wandering in the desert, the pattern was that not once, not twice, but often they provoked God and grieved him. They were constantly provoking God and grieving him. That was a pattern. And they provoked, and the specific provocation that they did to God was that they said, we want to go back. We want to go back in Egypt. It was better there. We had better food. We had better treatment. It would be better to be under those masters than Adonai, the master. We don't want it. And that was provoking to God. This pattern of this continual provocation and this continual grieving of God had a very sad consequence. And this consequence is stated in this verse. You notice where it says, they limited the Holy One of Israel. How could the Jewish people limit the Holy One of Israel? I mean, God is sovereign. How can they limit God in his sovereignty? Doesn't God do what he wants because he's sovereign? See, this is the doctrine of God limiting himself because what is here is that God wanted to do so much for the Jewish people. But but God limited himself to only do for them if they believed and if they obeyed him. That's how God limited, limited himself. And because in the wilderness they would not trust and obey, they limited the Holy One of Israel. And this was very frustrating for God And God expressed this frustration with being limited by their unbelief and their disobedience. And turn, if you would, to the Psalm 81, a little bit, a couple of Psalms. Psalm 81, verses 8 through 16. Because this portion here is the heart of God expressing his frustration over the pattern that was spoken of in uh, Psalm 78. So here... It starts off with these, these, these famous words, you know, Shema, Shema, here is the Shema, here, you know, the famous, most famous prayer in among Jewish people is Shema Yisrael, is um, Deuteronomy 6 4. Well, this is, a, and this is another Shema. It's, a, it's, a, it's not a Shema Yisrael, it's a Shema Ami, a Shema, a hero, hero, my people. And he says, I will testify unto thee, O Israel, if Thou wilt hearken unto me. There shall be no strange God in thee, neither shalt thou worship any strange God. I am the Lord, thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide, I'll fill it. But my people would not hearken to my voice, and Israel would none of me. So I gave them up unto their own heart's lusts, and they walked in their own counsels, and, and Oh, that my people had hearkened to me and Israel had walked in my ways. I should soon 
have subdued their enemies and turned my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord should have submitted themselves unto him, but their time should have endured forever. He should have fed them also with the finest of the wheat and with honey out of the rock should I have satisfied thee. So you can feel, when you read this, you can feel God's frustration in this verse. He starts out by crying, my people, hear, oh, my people. He's frustrated when he says this, when he says, I will testify unto thee. You know, you can picture God getting in the witness stand. He swears to tell the whole truth, nothing but the truth. He's going to testify to Israel. And he says, I'll do this. And then he, this, and he says his word, if thou wilt hearken unto me, this is the Almighty God. And he said, if you'll even listen to what I have to say, the frustration is coming through in these words, if thou wilt hearken unto me. God uses these words. It's a little like God saying, I'll speak with you if will you even take the time to listen to what I got to say. And so here we see the Lord Jesus Christ in this verse here explaining to the Jewish people in verse 10, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. You know, as if God's saying, remember me? I'm the one who brought you out. Open thy mouth wide, I'll fill it. The Lord Jesus Christ was telling the Jewish people and this people, he's the one who brought them out of Egypt. And then he told them what he wanted to do so much for them. He saw their needs. It starts off, the book of Exodus starts off where it says God heard their groanings when they were in Egypt. He saw their needs. He felt their needs. He was touched in all points like as we are. He says, open thy mouth wide, I'll fill it. And then one of the most sad, 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 sad statements in all of the Bible about God speaking to his own Jewish people is verse 11 of Psalm 81. But my people would not hearken unto me, and Israel would none of me, none of me. Imagine those words that show that God, God has, first of all, what they show here is that God, in spite of this, God has not cast away his people. How do you know? Because he keeps calling them my people. He says, God has not cast away his people. So he keeps calling them in the midst of their rejection. He keeps saying, my people, Ami, my people. He keeps saying, my people. And the Lord Jesus Christ, above the cross of his rejection, above the cross of where they said, where Pilate put it to the Jewish people, and they said, I'll give you a choice. You can take Barabbas, or you can take Jesus. And, you, and the choice is yours. And it was, it was as if God was speaking in the place of Pilate. They said, now you choose, you, want, you, you, you Jewish people, who's your, who, who, who you want? You want Barabbas, or you want Jesus? And they said, Barabbas. And even in his rejection, when he's there on the cross, and really that was a cross of rejection, and he's got over his cross the title that he gladly bore, wore, and took, the king of the Jews. He did. And that's, that's like him here in Psalm 81 saying, they're still my people, even though they won't hearken to me, even though they will none of me, even though they have a, put me on a cross of rejection, they're still my people. I'm still their king. But he says in this verse, my people would not hearken to my voice, and they just went non-responsive to the voice of God. And commenting on this response of the Jewish people to the Lord Jesus Christ, 
then he says, Israel would none of me. They want nothing to do. Whenever God uses that name Israel, which he says there, Israel, that's a very special name for God. Because that name Israel, first of all, was given by God to Jacob. And that name Israel was a name given as a crown to Jacob. It was a prince's crown. And God said that he gave the name Israel to signify that it means that now you are a prince and you have power with God and man in Genesis 32. But all the greatness of having the power with God and man signified in the name Jesus, it all came from God. It all came from God. There was no Israel power with God and man unless God gave that power. And all that Israel power with God and man is tragically lost when a Jewish person or any person turns away from God. And all that Israel power with God and man is tragically lost when a Jewish person turns away from the one who gave that name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor.